0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today is our 100th episode of Call Your Hits. It's hard to believe that we've been making them for over two years, including breaks and and so on. But here we are, you know, we started making this as a bit of a project that we were going to try over COVID to try and, you know, alleviate some of the lack of airsoft in our lives, uh, lack of seeing each other, you know, uh, myself and Pat have been friends for a really long time, didn't see each other for a really long period. But ultimately, I think it turned into a process that we really enjoyed, that I really enjoyed. And so we're really glad uh, to to be here on our 100th episode.
1: It went from sort of sanity maintenance to uh, something we look forward to doing regardless. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that is because, frankly, there are people listening and they've connected with us, and it's cool to have a community that's a lot more global than the folks who play airsoft in Newfoundland.
0: Yeah, and we've had the chance to talk to some really cool people. I mean, uh, not just um, you know, members of our Discord and, and so on, but other people as well. And you know, it's something that I really look forward to. Like, I know I'm going to be talking to one of our Discord members who lives in Australia in a couple of weeks about a milsim that he's going to. So it's been really, really cool. But for today. I think to celebrate this 100th episode and to do something a bit different and fun, uh, we thought it'd be fun to get several people in on this episode and do a bit of a retrospective about our time playing, playing Airsoft together, how things have changed over the years. So of course we've got Pat, as you've heard, but we've also got Chris and John and Cal here today. And guys, I couldn't be happier to have all you guys in here to talk uh, and reminisce a little bit together. I think we've had some pretty memorable moments over the years. Uh, and it'll be cool to, to see what sticks out in your mind uh, as some of those memorable ones and talk a little bit as well about how things have changed since uh, since we started, but One of the things as I was gearing up for this episode and I was thinking like, what are some memorable moments? And I have the benefit too of having all this footage that I can scroll through. And one of the one that always sticks out to me, if you guys remember, I think it's like 2015, 2014, something like that maybe, we did this indoor training night at Steve's warehouse. And we did this exercise that was like a reaction drill. So we would like haul somebody's foot off their head and then they had to engage someone Uh, who was coming at them with a knife. And we had Cal there who had a a hood on his head, and Chris just ran at him with that rubber knife. Do you remember that, Cal?
2: Yes, I'm cringing right now a little bit. Very memorable. I feel a little bad because instinctively at the time, as you're going to discuss here in a second, I guess, I essentially shoulder checked him in the chest. And I knocked him over. I felt horrible afterwards. And then I shot him multiple times after I shoulder checked him as well. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris remembers this. Yeah, it
3: was amazing to be a part of it, to be honest. Uh it was it was fantastic. I
0: remember everything, Matt everything, was on the uh, sidelines and he was like losing his mind because as uh, I watched it over and over, I mean it's just so amazing. Like the, the purpose of the drill was uh someone's gonna run at you with a knife, you just need to draw your sidearm and shoot them. And then the person, you know, stops running or, or whatever. It was a and, dark room, too, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was fully lit because that I think maybe would have been a bit too much with the dark room. We did that some other time, but okay. but yeah, so like uh you know cal's there the hood comes off chris yells and runs at him with this knife and cal just whips out the sidearm shoots a couple of times shoulder checks him. chris falls over and cal just keeps plugging him as he's going down it <laughs> was beautiful it was Pretty so i don't fight. think he
3: shot me i don't think he shot me until he put me on the floor but i could be wrong but uh i, care about yeah, other, I think he, yeah i think you're right chris I think we used to do a fun drill after all the, you know, quote unquote important stuff. Right.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: because we yeah. did do, we did do a dark room before, like, patterns, we did. and it was, was it something similar or you, you got into the dark room and then we turned the
1: lights on and you had to shoot targets. Yeah, so it so, was like a strobe yeah. or something.
0: There was a strobe. And yeah. uh, I think, Matt had put like some Taylor Swift on on a really loud speaker uh, and like someone was standing there as a target. So your objective was to like scan through the room and like cut through all the noise and shoot the right target basically, right? Or uh, at least determine if there was a target there, right?
1: I, uh, I know that also was, I think, the night that we uh, tried the uh, spinning around like a traffic cone or a baseball bat kind of drill, like the disorientation and then like try to walk a straight line and shoot drill. And uh, I have done target shooting uh, airsoft stuff a bunch of different times under a bunch of daft circumstances. And that was absolutely the worst I have ever done shooting anything at anything.
0: Yeah, I remember Jason (laughs) Fong falling over. He spin, like the whole idea was to spin around the cone so many times you get all like loopy. And like he spun around the cone and then he started walking in a straight line and immediately just basically tipped (laughs) over. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. It was um, fun. It was fun doing that kind of stuff, though. Like we had a lot. Of, I remember, Chris, you were telling me like at some point, you're like, I almost enjoy training as much as I enjoy playing. Right.
1: Definitely. I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah, this
5: was a all long before my time.
0: Wasn't that <laughs> long before know. your time? I thought John was there.
5: No, 2016
2: is when I September, I think. If you have formally joined the team
0: we did one session with you where you tried on like the plate carrier and all that kind of stuff and it was like way because i mean you're a small dude right and it was like way oversized for you and all that stuff right
3: Uh, i I was gonna say i think around that time it was when we really started to realize that hey maybe training outside of the game is probably a good idea because (laughs) as soon as everybody hits the game everything's crazy and you can't really you know uh sort of try out a lot of things or figure out what's best or even share ideas. And as soon as we started doing that, then it was sort of everybody's gear started lining up, everybody's sort of ideas started lining up, and we just got a lot better, in my opinion, anyway. Well,
1: I mean, yeah, I would agree. It, it, it's literally, yeah. you know, oh, hey, we should do some ready-ups. What's a ready-up? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, why are you holding your rifle like that?
0: Oh, I yeah. didn't notice And I think it's the the collaborative aspect that you're talking about that was so impactful overall, because previous to that, like we had done training sessions and I had run training sessions. That was basically just looking at the Magpul stuff and applying whatever was applicable for Airsoft and just, just teaching that. So teaching lots of reloads and all that kind of stuff, sidearm transitions, shoulder transitions, that kind of stuff. And even then we weren't doing that much shoulder transitions, but it was very much like this is me teaching you as opposed to what we really started doing, which is, okay, well, one person will illustrate some concepts, but then together we figure out like, what are different people doing? What's working for different people? And that's also when I think we started to move away from this idea of what works for Phil and Cal and you know, Chris is what everybody's gonna do. Because at that time it was still very much like, oh, well, play carrier, right? And sidearm this and single point slaying, et cetera and you know well mark wore like a what do you call it a chest rig but that's because his back was bad and i wasn't going to tell him like listen wear this plate carrier even though your back sucks because you're like a cripple whatever like it's funny you know
1: that's literally the plate carrier i use yeah (laughs) right not the same one i bought the i bought the same model um and like one of the things i gotta say there is you know i feel like one of the things adding chris to the team brought that like i certainly didn't expect originally, you know, because initially I was like, yeah, he's a cool guy to play with. Awesome. That was, that was my whole expectation. Right. Was, um, he has a very, you know, no bullshit, like, okay, why are you doing what you're doing? Does it have any practical purpose attitude that I definitely lack? Like, (laughs) yeah, well, it's probably annoyed some people too. So (laughs)
0: there's
3: a a positive (laughs) and negative to it for sure. Yeah.
0: I, didn't, I don't think it annoyed, I don't think it annoyed anybody on the team for sure, right? I think we always had people who eventually ended up doing their own thing. Like think about Shane, for example, he always sort of did his his own thing. Great guy to have around, don't get me wrong. But like he was always like, I'm going to have, you know, same sort of vibe as Johnny, right? Which, or Stefan, right? It's like, I'm going to do whatever I find fun. Um, but at that time, I think we were a lot more prescriptive than where we are today, which is just like, hey, just do whatever, Right.
1: Come play, have
2: fun, right?
0: And I think that style is probably bit better for someone like you, John, I would I would suspect.
2: The only thing we really stick to now is a, a camouflage pattern. Even that, like Johnny, you and I wear pretty much whatever we, we want. Yeah. we yeah, show what, up nowadays. Well, I
3: think what it is now is it's more of a, you know, it's a concept sort of thing. It's like, are you shooting fast? Are you shooting accurately? Can you reload? It's like, okay, you check those boxes, whatever you're wearing is good. Doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing, but it's still got to
1: you know, yeah. our level by. of concern with the color of shirt you are wearing has definitely gone down significantly or frankly with what you are pulling the trigger on as long as bbs are going <laughs> in the appropriate direction <laughs>
0: it's true but we were very much like of that mindset of like oh well we wear the same camo because it's that intimidation factor right like we show up to the field and uh we're all wearing the same camo so it's like whoa these guys are serious but now i think people don't take us that seriously because we're not that serious, right? That's not the attitude that we have when we play. Like if you get to know us, you know that we're not there to intimidate anybody. We're there to outreach, we're there to have fun, we're there to enjoy. And so in that respect, like as long as, you know, sometimes we wear a camo for the art, right? Like you strap on the alpinflage and you're like, let's go. But like, if you're using, whether you're using like OD or Woodland or M90, like I've been really a fan of using lately, um, what difference does it make, right? Ultimately it's, it's not, It's not as important, I guess where I'm going at is our priorities have kind of shifted as the game has shifted too, right?
1: Well, I mean, we've definitely gotten um, like, as you said, less prescriptive, but also, you know, like there was a point where, not that we wanted to intimidate people in a sort of social Mm -hmm. aspect, but where we definitely were thinking about, yeah, we want to roll together as like a big blob of guys who look the same and are look professional, look daunting um, for the psychological advantage in play. And definitely we've reached the point where I don't think anyone on our team cares about that. Um, It's also lost some of the practicality because there was a point where there were, you know, like 16 guys on our team and I didn't know all of them well. So like, you know, knowing, oh yeah, if I see a guy in U.S. Woodland, he's probably on my team and I shouldn't pull the trigger. was useful.
4: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Well, that brings up a good point too, Pat, because like back then, like the, the, you know, the whole structure of how we played airsoft was, There was three or four bigger teams. So it made sense to sort of, you know, have us try and reciprocate that, right? Whereas it's sort of not the case anymore, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we used to also play a lot at Redcliffe, right? And that camo was a thing that mattered, and I would say a lot more than it does today. Like, yeah, at frontline, camo can matter. Like if you're playing in the woodfield. Uh, Or if you're trying to hide in the woods, you know, on the back, like in like uh, behind D-Day or whatever, like it can matter. Or if you're trying to sneak around on the swamp, but even then, most of the time, like Camel is not going to be a huge factor. It's kind of
5: irrelevant. It's irrelevant at Frontline, I would say.
0: Yeah, almost. I would say almost. There's a couple of times where uh, it's on the wood field again, like for the most, like if you're playing in the village, doesn't matter. You're playing on the road, doesn't matter. Right. But we've played Mm. games uh, on the wood field where I've been on the backside Uh, You know, just in that gully between the Woodfield and the Blackhawk field. And there have been times where I've been in cover, but sorry, in concealment, but not in cover, but Mm -hmm. relying on my camouflage to keep me hidden. And it's, it's worked, you know, relatively well. Like, I'm looking at people who do not see me. But to your point, though, how often does that happen? Exactly. Versus the rest of it, right? It's a nice to have, but like...
1: Yes. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely less critical than when we were literally playing in the woods every weekend.
5: Like I felt like when yeah. I I got in at a kind of like a transitional pa- like phase of the team, if you want to look at it like that, like because I I've never once owned I've never owned a play carrier. I probably will never, and like at the time, like this is like the the uniform requirement. You need to have woodland, which is what I kind of I I knew that going into it. I knew that like you were a structured team. And I knew the other teams had like CAD pad. They had like, I forget the other ones, but, you know, they had their team pattern and I just assumed like Woodland was your guys's pattern. I was like, all right, that's what I'll get. But then, you know, as, as time went on, you know, I started to diversify like what I was running. I mean, I was running a belt system for like, I don't know, like two years, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> With the mags flying
0: out the pockets. the second you took Yeah, the yeah run, dude, right? just
5: being an absolute lobster.
0: <laughs> when are you doing the
2: team again, John? 2016, something like that? Yeah, yeah September. But before that, you essentially rolled with us every weekend you came out. Yeah, it was yeah but I was... You joined the it team in 2016.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we could argue that, like, we were always part of the team because, you know, the first people we ever played Airsoft with was Pat and Phil
2: and Dad.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, multi, I mean, like... You,
2: I had I, to yeah. have multicam, play carrier, and... Yeah. What was it again? Some a, a, like a uh, Nato rifle a helmet. Yeah, yeah Nato and, 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 and rifle. rifle. Yeah. Yeah. I I just <laughs> felt like
5: I felt like I, I didn't. I've never once. I just thought that's what teams do. I thought that's like that's how you organize an airsoft team. You say, all right, this is we're ca- kind of focusing on this lane of like military interest for you know for lack of a better like genre. Like this is the lane that we want to occupy. If you follow suit and
1: you're you're cool, then you know you're gonna. We'll ask you to extend the invitation. Well, the thing I was going to say uh, is I think you're part of the reason that we loosened up about that, to be honest. I was going to say
0: the same thing. Oh, definitely. Um, really? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we wanted oh, yeah. to play with you, right? And it was like, well, if he doesn't want to, like, I think Phil and I had conversations about this. Like, if he doesn't want to run the quote unquote team gear, well, does that matter more than having him on the team? And the answer was no.
0: Like, Yeah. Same thing with yeah. Steph. Like, I, you know, it's funny that you say that. It's like I, I entered the team at a transitionary period or whatever. It's like, did you or were you the catalyst for that transition? And I think there's a lot of maybe two of those. Like, we were ready for that change, right? But also, we needed people. You know, in the same way that when Chris and Miles and you know. Um, uh, well, Shane at the time and stuff, so you guys joined up, like we had one formula, but anytime you bring someone else into the equation, like you bring your own wants and desires. Cause I mean, this is, we do this for fun. Nobody's winning any medals. So what's the sense of being so prescriptive that people get turned off by that? And in some cases, we had a couple of people who joined the team and then left because that, you know, wasn't their speed. Fair enough. Right. That's, that's absolutely fine. I'm but like, pretty
1: universally yeah. people joining the team and like contributing a viewpoint we didn't have before has been positive. hmm you know like i mean bad for my bank account john <laughs> you know but like oh, the, the world war ii kid is super fun you know i definitely wouldn't own a grand and love it if it weren't for john um you know i wouldn't have one of our uh one of our discord guys uh messaging me someone who is has found a box of world war ii era garand stocks that they're planning on selling and being like hey you should keep an eye on this guy's page yeah right (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know
5: john's ears just perked
1: up
0: (laughs) yeah one minute Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) you know it's funny though because when i was again thinking about sort of how, how Airsoft has changed. One of the things that I, I really sort of miss about the landscape in certain respects is, is playing at Redcliffe. I think there was really good opportunities for some bigger games. And we played some like mega games up there, like just really big in a way that it's hard to replicate on, uh, even on a commercial field, simply because getting a size of land, a piece of land that that's, that's that big is, it's hard. It's very expensive. Right. And we really took it for granted. I think
1: I mean, we don't have a lot of people who are buying, you know, like eight, 10 kilometer square pieces of dirt, um, yeah. you know, especially ones with like old radar stations. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. The one that just happened to have a military base. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't have one of those in your back pocket.
5: <laughs> I would love to go back to like one of, one of our like ops in which we all ran together with our current mindsets and current attitudes and philosophies towards Airsoft and experience that then. Oh man, and gear. Like from that from that perspective. <laughs> I like, oh mm-hmm. dude, I think that would be amazing. Cause I mean, the, the terrain at Red Cliff is so dynamic. It's so interesting. It's such a such an interesting obstacle.
1: Oh man, it's yeah. great. Can you imagine, just as like a related aside, can you imagine running my current setup up there? Oh man. Like, can you imagine shooting at people from the bushes with a gun that quiet and that accurate? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know the flip side, can you imagine? taking a lot of the players who play at frontline right now and transposing them to Redcliffe. And it would be really interesting because I think you would have two types of people who transpose over guys like Matt, players like Elizabeth, who are like super sneaky, super quiet, super mobile. Right. And I get this, I guess this idea of like just them sneaking around and all this. And then you had all the other people who've never seen uh play in a wooded area like that stomping around making like all these kinds of noise and you know uh like giving ourselves away like i just i can't imagine what that would be like now
1: i mean like i have enough practice playing up there that it's basically the only place on earth i can legitimately claim to be sneaky
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
5: yeah i i feel incredibly like sneaky and at Redcliffe, man Uh, those oh man some of those flanks going around like the lower platform area Oh, those of the Octagon.
2: like 10 odd years so we haven't played lately mostly because I guess hikers yeah. and kind of stuff and yeah. it's, it's harder to plan up there and it, reliably you can go to front line and get a 15 20 person game regularly a week now it would be nice to see the change of pace or player wise I know a lot of folks who play front line as we've all seen really enjoy the speed soft kind of play stuff yeah. like sprinting yeah. and running which I don't mind now and then it's fun but uh, I've always kind of enjoyed airsoft because it's you can't run around you can't paintball. BBs are much faster mm-hmm. more accurate. If you try and dash and slide around like you do in paintball, you're just out. You can't make it. You yeah. get I mean, tagged out pretty easily. So I like okay. the way that um, Redcliffe kind of gave us that ability to replicate that.
0: Plus, but you can't slide easy. around at Redcliffe because you're going to need a tetanus shot if you do, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, like I did one day Yeah. when I cut my leg on a rusty nail. And and I now or a like, or, shot. Or like Pat Short when he jumped off that little platform. Mm, not a great time.
1: That no. is, yeah we're talking about good moments of yourself that is uh, sort of the inverse right
4: yeah um, so like a worst worst scenario.
2: Right, Cliff. and john you've had like three or four up there injuries yeah or like i remember there was one i remember we were like fortifying <laughs> the octagon and a fell yeah. on your head but you're wearing a helmet oh yeah I was wearing,
5: yeah i was wearing my belgian M- m1 it has a <laughs> it had a dent in it <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> like that's a very a noticeable. I you know, I forgot how that dent even got there. I thought I that that's just how it came. <laughs>
2: okay, I say that we have a more injury from Red Cliff, but I recall you know, many times that
5: I've other places. Throughout my whole life, I've always I've always injured my head. My my head has always been like the focal point of me getting hurt. Like, it's I a good thing you place. don't keep
0: anything in there,
5: then. Dude, it's it's <laughs> a, and you know it's hilarious. I wear nothing to protect it except for
0: goggles. Now, yeah, it's too funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things that's you know uh, that's funny about the Red Cliff thing it, for me is that the primary reason that people stopped playing up like the hikers and stuff were one thing, but the primary reason is that they moved where we had the, had to access from. Yeah, like, yeah. a large, a staggering yeah. number of people quit playing up there just because they didn't do want to do like a twenty minute hike in.
5: Yeah, yeah, the parking was always a bit of a problem.
0: Well, it was I remember,
1: always dicey or sketchy.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, like when you used to, you know, park at the remember when you used to park at the bottom all the time, before yeah. that area up top was developed. I mean, it was always a hike up, right? It was like 15 minutes the long way or seven or eight minutes the, the short way, and you get up there and you're half-winded already. Um
2: and it always sucked, it never got any easier.
0: Yeah, yeah,
5: it was always brutal. I'd like to go back and redo it. I'd like I'd like to experience a Saturday morning
2: game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you know, I think Don't it would be class, hard. Yeah.
2: Do nothing yeah. until like 8:30, then start walking for yeah. 845. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you load up down up the
1: parking lot.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be at that anymore.
1: Show up with your stuff like loaded. Have enough time to leave, get coffee, and come back while other people are loading their mags. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it was different too, man. Like we didn't care like how long it because we weren't paying anything, right? So you'd show I up like, at whenever time and leave like whenever. I remember I like, lots yeah, of games that were like <laughs> nine to five or whatever. Just crazy. Yeah.
5: Yeah. We played a lot of nine to twos.
0: Yeah. Or sometimes, sometimes later, like yeah. Yes. And I also don't think we went solely for just
2: airsoft. Like I don't solely go on Saturday as a front line to play airsoft. I go to talk to you guys
0: and
1: mm-hmm. the yeah.
2: players we associate with and have fun. Yeah, man. Like I,
1: I, I love hanging out out with, you with you guys. That half and hour I get to see you less often than I want.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I remember, like the, the, again, like coming back to Redcliffe. Like I'd love to be able to go back there and do the kinds of like run the kinds of ops uninterrupted like we did you know, many times, like whether... Dude,
5: we should have a little game,
0: just the Storm Riders. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> it's Dude, just, I think that would be sick. It, like, I really want to go back up there and experience, like, I remember, can't remember the game, the op that it was, but, like, Chris was commanding one of the teams yeah. or whatever, and you're, yeah. like, back at the ruins or whatever, you're just, like, eating your, like, you know, Sour Patch Kids or whatever you had back there, like, Sour... I can't remember, what was it, like, you always had in your thing? Sour Skittles. Sour Skittles, sour there Skittles. it is, yeah. <laughs>
2: Man, you whip them out too, like throw it at us for hungry or needed like a little boost. Fire, fire skills on demand.
1: <laughs> yeah, was, Chris was our dealer. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, I was. Pocket- he had the green. <laughs> yeah,
0: we had. I remember, like, I you know, we had Pat and I had conversations about like how to complicate the objectives without making them like more meaningfully like complex, but more entertaining. And like again, I remember one of the things that we did um, we had like, uh, like a placard that we would hold, like one of us, one of the like marshals or whatever would hold up over their head. And the other team's recon team had to call in the numbers and the letters that was written on there. We specifically picked letters and numbers that were like hard to hear over the radio to just try and trip them up. Right. So I think it said like, uh, P five or something like that. Right. And so that, like that kind of stuff, which you can't you know, you can't really do uh, at the frontline field, because how far away are you realistically going to be from that particular objective at a maximum distance? What? 250 yeah. feet, 300 but feet, like a hundred meters.
5: I think you, you play it into the structural, like landscape, like the dynamic nature of frontline or of Redcliffe into the objective for that, because the, the, it would be, it, it's impossible. Like sure. You can sneak around, but like, you can't sneak, like you can't properly move around someone like you can't like Redcliffe. Yeah. And yeah. like once you once you understood like just braving the woods and just trekking through it, picking out your lane that you usually just pass through, like you, you can't you it's impossible to replicate. And that's why like frontline as good as it as as it is, it will never hold a candle to that like dynamic play.
0: Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. one time uh, one of the guys who joined the team and then left. Uh, I think his name was was it Steve Bud? Is that who it was, Cal? Oh. Do you remember?
1: Yeah. He definitely played with us for a little while.
0: Yeah. uh, Oh Um, man.
5: But yeah, I remember him. Yeah. That was,
0: that was way, that's right. Yeah. 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 This was was before Chris and miles and all them before Mario and Mark and Jason, like he was the fourth guy. We have pictures of him, you know, when we started the team back in 2009, but he introduced me to the concept of like a claw relief to break contact. Right. So you take contact and you loop through the woods and you go around and you and you circle back and stuff. And like you legit can't do oh. that at Frontline. Right. It's just not possible. There is not enough field and not enough cover for you to break contact in that way. Right. It's just not it's not the same.
5: I mean, you can kind of replicate it if there's only like a few people left halfway through like a village game or something. And you have contact on one side, you can easily break yeah. and move. But like it's, it's a it's a different it's I mean, it's problem solving for the like. It's taking the same concept, just applying
1: it to a different set of circumstances. Super
0: small scale too,
1: right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, at Redcliffe, if you're trying to lose someone in that context, you, you have loads of space. Whereas at Frontline, it's like, all right, I got 50 feet.
2: <laughs> Redcliffe, you could easily, you could flank someone or be flanked by someone and have enough space and time and cover to outflank their flank on you. Essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. it's that large and spacious.
5: Because yeah. I remember, like, at Redcliffe, one of one of the big decisions always was if we're what platform are we going to take yeah Are we going to take the lower or the lower lower yeah like do you want to do you want to move around them moving around us like how do you want to play this Mm -hmm. or do you want to be risky and just like bust on through like because the train was quicker on the the more dangerous approach classic hollywood trope there yeah and if you wanted to be a bit more stealthy you had like you know, I would say like the lower set of platforms, like the first set down was pretty, pretty, you could traverse that quick, quickly, no problem. Mm-hmm. I always find getting out was the, the hard thing. Yeah. Especially definitely. if you started by the radar tower and moving around to the octagon side, like I, I could never figure out where the, the spot was in which to move up. I've gotten killed there
0: so many times. So I'm, I'm curious, Chris, from your standpoint, like when you think about like, what's your stand out? Era soft memory from from you know back in the day
3: well what keeps going back is the first down grad that's when i met you and pat and cal and i think it was just mario and mark at the t- on the team at that point right
0: yeah and fong fong was on the team but i don't think he was there when we met
3: right because uh, myself and mackie and a few of the other guys were there and then you uh wanted Mackie on the team and I believe he said that I had to come as well I don't think I was an original invite
0: yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> certainly possible that sounds like something uh, I uh I would have uh, maybe I I would made that
3: that's, that's what I remember and uh anyway I remember playing that game because that was the first time we played at frontline uh and there was like what was that stalingrad game there was like 50
2: 60 people there yeah, Like it was, it was big game. 2012 2013 or maybe a little yeah. later than that probably but 2012 oh, yeah, i was, believe 20
0: it? i think it's 2011 or 2012 yeah
2: yeah, yeah that was yeah. a big
3: game and there's a there's a specific moment when phil was on his handset the one he used to use and he was i think you were the commander right yeah yeah <laughs> and you were talking behind the bus and I was with my Gng Top Tech electric blowback. <laughs> uh, that was a really good rifle before we started touching it all. And all I was doing was peeking around the side of the bus and, like, smoking tendus, coming back in, reloading my, my high cap, winding, winding up for, like, 30 seconds, popping
5: back out again, and just smoking guys.
3: Yeah, like a good rich
1: environment,
5: Chris. No, yeah. Nothing has changed. You do the exact same thing when you roll on the field now. <laughs> yeah, <Right? laughs> they always uh, just like AI spawn just in front of your barrel. It seems,
4: yeah. Like, yeah it was, I just killed
5: uh, like six of them. like, dude, I never well, saw we, one. We,
3: <laughs> we tried to play at Red Cliff <laughs> multiple times with you guys, and we were on the, uh, the airsoft Canada forums, yeah. And we went like three weeks in a row, and it was like just no shows, nobody was there.
4: Mm-hmm. And then
3: one week we were walking back down and uh, uh, Sean Mulch was walking up and the dude was in full cad had like three rifle bags, started taking out rifles uh, to show us. And we at this point only had like the Walmart rifles and Jason Little had a uh, a Kraken AK, which mm-hmm. was like, the, you know, <laughs> the, it, it the was nice. That was, on, Yeah. And, and then he said, you guys should try frontline or something like that. That's, and then we all got good guns and we went there and then it just snowballed.
0: Yeah. That's definitely, I think one of the standout members. I remember from that game in particular, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm sure about how like miles, who I guess was in the reserves at the time, kept calling me, sir, the entire day. And I was like, <laughs> I don't whatever, dude, like fine. But he, <laughs> he showed me a tip that I still use to this day whenever I look at a physical map, which mm-hmm. is that I had the map on the floor on the, on the deck and I was trying to figure stuff out and he just took it and he oriented the map to the terrain so that the map fit the environment that we were at. So when I'm looking down and I'm looking on direction, it follows the map kind of deal. And I still use that tip to this day. Anytime I use a paper map, I put it down and I'm like, I just turn it so that, you know, North is the right direction or whatever. And then that just helps me understand what I'm looking at a bit better. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was a, that was, that was a day. Well, and like I said,
3: it sort of snowballed because then we joined the team. So we had like previous to that we had experienced with like, three or four guys in the woods shooting at each other with walmart and fours
4: mm-hmm. so
3: then all of a sudden we were on the team, and you guys seem like you know like first like i like i don't know cal if you remember we had a few training days like up at red cliff and we'd uh, we'd go towards like the octagon and we'd start to like you guys were trying to show us how to uh you know lay down suppressive fire and cover and this sort of stuff and all i remember is like running in the bushes like not being able to reload falling down and all this sort of stuff and it just felt like you know this was the start right and you guys were like you got to get mid caps you got to do this you got to do that and it's just like treating yes, this
2: much might have fun yeah that's right
3: <laughs> yeah 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 back then we didn't even have vehicles yeah we, we used to have the hitch rise up there.
0: dude was, oh was like, yeah that the, were those those training days that you charged five dollars for no i don't think so we never we never really charged the the only ones that i charged five dollars for was the ones that we had to like create targets and stuff like that yeah, uh, but that's right yeah because i
5: remember though so i was like oh i wanted to go but it's five dollars
0: oh wow when i, when I
5: was in, when i was in like grade nine dude like five dollars was a lot of money i mean
2: <laughs> it still is <laughs> yeah. yeah we got we, we had like 15 20 people that showed that one day we charged five bucks but like the training time we had needed us to have like targets uh, some of the resources too we needed and we essentially use all the resources going forward for over for the twenty days so yeah. it was one little like unfortunate circumstance of paying five bucks but it paid out in the long run
0: yeah because at that time like yeah like definitely i can't remember it was like ten or something like that 2009 2010 yeah. and like i you know just had some whatever job right so i wasn't flush in the same way that you know I'm, i as a grown-ass adult now right Um it
5: was just it was just from the perspective of a broke grade yeah, nine-year-old totally but like, this is what
0: i mean like today i just build the stands and then have the training session i wouldn't charge five bucks like i don't care right same yeah, thing you go online, right like yeah, of it's course. free it's yeah.
1: your, your disposable money has definitely uh yeah changed
5: i just remember that i was like i wanted to hang out with these guys but
0: yeah so Cal, what about you? Like, what's the one that stands out for you? Like, when? Because I mean, you, you, like, you've been playing almost as long as we, all of us have been playing. But I feel like you've played a lot. There was a period of time where you played a lot, and I think a lot more than even like me and Pat.
2: There was a time where I first started playing, and for a year or so, I was trying to jump in the fence. I didn't know if I really wanted to commit, like, a lot of time, um, my finances, and just like, I guess, life to airsoft. Uh, John, when did we first start playing? It was around like 2009, something like that. Um... No, I Earlier think maybe. I think it was 2008. I remember, when we first started playing, uh, you and I were like 16, I think, or just under 16, because we needed like, a, at the time, we weren't actually playing front lines. So there was no like formal consent process. Yeah. So essentially, it was just, you needed an adult or someone over the age of 18 to, I guess, say they will take ownership of you in case yeah. anything happened up there or whatever. So it was your dad. Your dad yeah. essentially like own me, own me. Oh legally
1: responsible for you, for these idiots. Someone come take care of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, a dad.
5: Dad was the dude, man. Yeah, he was the guy. That also, might be one of my favorite memories. Sorry that
3: Cal, the the just as a sidebar here, but of Johnny's dad, which I think needs uh needs a bit of expansion here. I specifically remember fighting up the road at Redcliffe. like, and just for context. This is like an elevation gain of what, like between the motor pool and the top, like easily 50 meters. Easily. And, steep.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So, and uh, just like hauling ass up that, taking cover behind a rock. And all I hear is, ah, you bunch of youngsters, a smoke grenade pop. <laughs> and here is here's Johnny's dad, firing a Thompson, smoking a cigar and telling us to move up. And it, it, Like, it, oh, that was the best. Yep. <laughs> <Just>
4: <laughs> he did that I-
0: he did that later on at frontline too he had his grand this time and he had a cigar in his mouth with his like easy company like from the tv show kind of loadout or whatever vaguely oh. it's not even an impression like whatever john man. i'm not i'm not even going down that road but That's i remember good, him, like, it was a
5: costume yeah cos- cosplay
0: <laughs> but i remember him coming down he had the grand and he had the cigar in his mouth and like legit like just shouting at like kids like you're like you know 14 or whatever be like you're out and they're like okay sir and then he just like, walks off the field like it's unbelievable your dad was an absolute legend Oh, if fantastic. I was there,
5: I would have been cringing so hard. I would yeah. have been like, oh, God, are you kidding me?
1: That's so yeah. good, though. Like, so
5: yeah, because, I, I mean, at the time, I would have been, like, an angsty teenager being like, think
1: I think my favorite part about that is that, like, hip-firing the Thompson and smoking a cigar and still hitting people
0: yeah
5: do you remember dad's hilarious camera setup he used to have on his thompson like he had a gopro suction cup to to the stock yeah
4: Yeah. oh my god these
2: these were the kind of interactions that i wanted this is like when i first started playing 15 16 years old i wanted a sport where it wasn't just i don't know i wasn't interested in soccer basketball hockey that kind of stuff i want something more dynamic and interesting And at the time I guess I had not a super keen interest, but I was more interested in the military overall. And I would say that Airsoft in a way kind of sparked my interest in committing to the military. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to say fully committed myself to actually like falling into it, but um, I liked the game. I enjoyed the sport, the people, and I will say a lot of the folks that play Airsoft are very similar to folks who are in the military in terms of mindset and personalities. So, having interactions like this with John's dad or going up and playing these like mini ops where you go out for like, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. You start like 6 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever, and play until like that same hour in the evening. It was just so cool. There was no other sport on the island that I can remember ever having that kind of dynamic to it. There was nothing so unique. Every game I went and played was different. It was mm -hmm. uh, two or three hours on Redcliffe at the Octagon. The next day you might go to lower base or the next day you might play the whole field. You don't yeah. know what it was going to be before. Well, you knew what the game was, but each time it was different and the players were different and everyone was so nice and approachable. So really, like, it was just an awesome community that made you want to keep going and going and going
0: and you know what's really interesting is that you have people who come and go in the community and i mean we've all we've all seen them like uh, whether they're you know international students who are coming from like well if you all we all remember andre right like at at uh redcliffe was this he an exchange student he was he, well he was a he was a master's student i think or something like that but he was from ukraine oh, yeah. like an international mm-hmm. student Man, what um, a crazy guy he was he was nuts right and then you know but like, we have all these people coming in and out and stuff, but like, if you look at the core people who've been here for a really long time, whether they're on our team or on other teams or just in the community in general, what's really interesting is you can see how they have grown as individuals. Over the years. And specifically, you can also see how Airsoft has helped them grow. And, you know, before we were started to record the podcast, I was given a bit of an update on um, C21 and SecU yesterday. But one of the things that happened in SecU is they read a letter from someone explaining uh, the impact that the Airsoft has on their life. And they've talked very in depth about like the leadership skills that they've developed and how they've become much more accustomed to going, being outgoing with people and talking to people, building friendships to people that they don't necessarily, you know, like just being like, hey, hey like we have this thing in common let's have a conversation let's build a friendship let's support each other and then let's have this mindset where we want to develop and grow and you know enjoy this sport more and more and more as opposed to sort of being a flash in the pan you do it a couple of times and then and then you don't you don't do it again and it's interesting to me because airsoft yeah airsoft is expensive like we talk a lot about like how much money pat has sunk uh, in his hpa how much johnny has spent on his impression kits or, or what have you but if you look at Other sports like hockey, for example, uh, which is, you know, baseline being Canadian, it's also very expensive, right? It's uh, like equipment is expensive. You have to replace sticks, like all this kind of stuff. Not that I would know not having played hockey, but point is there's still expenses, but people try hockey and they sort of fall out of it. But with Airsoft, I find we have people who come in and then they stick to it a lot longer. And even if they don't play for, you know, a couple of years or a couple of months or whatever, they end up at some point coming back, right? And I know we're planning on playing with Mark and um, I was going to say Jerome, Jeremy uh, in a couple of weeks, right? They haven't played Airsoft for six plus years, you know, between the two of them. Uh, and they're coming out again, like, why not? Right? So it's, it's interesting in that way. And again, you get to see how that's influenced people, right? Cal, you're saying about like, you know, joining the military and like how that sort of helped, you know, not solidify that, but at least give you that perspective that you needed to do that. In my case, it gave me the perspective—the perspective that I wanted to not do that. Right? Who cares? Right? It's all about that development. I just think it's really interesting, and you can see that by virtue of the fact of playing with the same people like week over week, month over month, in a way that you don't necessarily see other places. Right?
1: One thing I really want to mention with uh, Cal and John talking about when they got into playing airsoft is I was a substitute teacher when they got into playing airsoft. And playing yourself with them and then going and working at their school and being their substitute teacher was fun, but a very surreal experience.
0: But that still <laughs> happens to you today, does it not?
1: So it's, it's, and I was going to say, it's, it stayed consistent in that, like, I, uh, I still have kids who are like, sir, like, are you Pat from yourself? I'm like, <laughs> Mr. Warren. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Pat
5: doesn't live here.
1: You know, it's like, just, yeah, we're not playing that game. Um, but it's always, it's always interesting. Like, you know, uh, you mentioned Elizabeth earlier, she's a, a student at a school I used to work at. It's just like,
4: mm.
1: hello, you know, and regularly when I was working there, she's like, so are you coming to yourself this weekend? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: like, and I wasn't teaching her. She'd just pop on my classroom and be like,
0: <laughs> and the students are like, what? <laughs> As an aside, I think too, like those players now are good. Like they are so good and way Absolutely. better, I think, than I ever was for the first, like, I don't know, seven years playing or something stupid. They're like, they're just now. like, <laughs> top, like, and it's not just because they play all the time, but I, I don't know. And John, maybe you can talk to, to this a little bit, a bit more, because I think you, you know, those people a little bit more by virtue of like working at the field, being at the field more frequently mm-hmm. than some of us. But there's, it's definitely an attitude. Uh, not an attitude is the wrong word, but probably mindset is different, right? They're comfortable. They're comfortable
5: yeah. with it and that's the biggest thing once you're comfortable and you're you you have the ability to flex kind of like I'm going to try to take a step further be a little bit better be a little bit more aggressive think a little bit differently then, you know week after week day after day you know you just kind of build up you f- you understand the the field difference I mean I've spent like eight hours I spent like 24 hours like an A week like on the field so like I've developed a different relationship with it now and I can understand it a little bit differently and it's not as big as it once was Mm -hmm. even though like I, I haven't really grown physically like the field feels smaller now maybe that's because I'm so familiar with it now but I'm not sure and I would say that she's been working there a lot longer than I have same with like Matt and that's why like they're so comfortable and they're so like proficient at what they do uh when it comes to playing airsoft it's just I don't know be- if he listens to these but matt you're a monster <laughs> i love it <laughs> dude. It off he's the only person except for he's yeah i'd say my most consistent threat i always feel like he's the guy i gotta get once i get him i have slain the dragon the head is off the beast <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it's all coming down from like the, the hours spent like just on the field and you know practice makes perfect and I would say that they're perfect for front line.
0: And, and let me know if you think this makes sense, but I feel like, especially like newer newer players, players who, who like like Elizabeth and Matt and stuff, I feel like they play Airsoft as opposed yeah, to doing they Airsoft.
5: Do. do you know what I mean? They do. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, that was the thing that I I wanted to change when I joined the team. I was just playing. I was just playing dress up. There's no further like motive. I was obviously extremely passionate about the Second World War and I wanted to broaden my experience. And it was after a lull. I had taken a few years off of playing Airsoft if you remember from that time. Mm-hmm. I think from like 2012 to 2016, I was I was like AFK. And I made the decision that I was like, I think it's time for me to get into it again. And you're the only people that like i had any like connection with um so it
1: just that's felt natural to nerds.
5: well i've known you my pretty well my enti- i've known you over half my life i would say
1: mm-hmm. uh, oh that's terrifying
5: yeah dude i like <laughs> i'm old. yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty crazy <laughs> but like that we've been friends for that long but love it um it's what it feels like anyways like i feel like i've grown up with you guys so when it was reassuring to see that you guys were there in the community that you had formed, had developed as well. So other like-minded people like Chris, Mark, uh, Steph, because all these people were new to me when I when I got onto the team. Really, because I had I hadn't really played with them before. Like I don't really remember playing with Chris at all at Redcliffe, despite his accounts of him and I playing together. Uh, but these are like, I I I know I just kind of fit. And I was like, I want to do airsoft now. And I want to commit time. I want to commit money and I want to commit myself to these guys and being on, I mean, this is the only team I've ever been a part of. And it's the only team I I would say I'll, I'll ever be a part of because you're the only people that I can be like myself around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that I know, I know exactly what you mean. And there's a, like a childlike wonder that comes from just playing it just for the sake of playing it just for yourself and not and taking it what, too seriously,
0: too. Right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, like,
5: I w- I wouldn't say that we take it that seriously. We have our moments, but, like, um, we're pretty laxedacious when it comes to, like, the
1: attitude front. And it's weird because we're – I think we've evolved over time into a way more chill team, but we're still really yeah. here playing it, I think, as a sport as well as a hobby and, I think, do you, Frida? Like, you know, like uh, it's hard to say we take it super seriously, but
5: mm-hmm. – I mean – We definitely try when we're on the field, but when we're off the field, we're, you know, we're open. We're inviting people to bounce ideas off questions, comments, criticisms, what have you. And that's kind of like, like we, we take it seriously when we're, when we're in the pit, like we, we take corners slow, carefully. We take, you know, we think about what we're doing and we really try
1: um well but I also mean, phil periodically has to talk me out of bringing a sword to salt.
0: <laughs> well it's true but i was gonna say like uh, i don't i think i can think of very very few times at least i can speak for myself where my primary motivation when we were playing was i need to win like i need to win this game and there's very very few that. times where i felt oh, like really that. yeah really i always feel like that no because i'm like i want to do my best Right. And if my best is not enough to win, then whatever, like that, that's not within my control. Right. But there's, there's very few times where I've been like, okay, I need to do whatever I can to win this game because there's Mm -hmm. something on the line. And I've never, it's very, very rare. And I think, I mean, Pat probably and maybe Cal probably can think back to some moments where I may have felt that way. And generally it was involving other people who are playing um, where I felt Mm -hmm. like I had something I needed to prove right yeah,
1: it's never been a i want to win this game it's a i don't want to lose to that guy
0: well um, yeah, there's
1: yeah, which there's. is you know um if, if we're being honest and i mean I, we try to be on this podcast honest you know not always our best moments perhaps but mm-hmm. um you know it's it's a thing we've learned from right like not we aren't really going to be like, Oh yeah, we're gonna get this guy ever again, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean I say Except that, John, but like who I now have to get because he said he wasn't scared of me anymore.
5: Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still terrified of you. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I just I view you as a teddy bear that wants to kill me as opposed to a monch that wants to kill me.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's a good definition.
2: I think we used to earlier uh feels pretty good. Like we don't we don't do airsoft because obviously you are out there and you are experiencing it, but we're playing. We're yeah. not there to just with the emotions where they'd actually enjoy the sport where they're to play. And I agree with John earlier, what he said. Like, yeah, I play, I don't play to just for the sake of playing. I play because I enjoy the aspect of playing and I enjoy winning as well. But if I lose, obviously, you're not going not to cry. Yeah, of course. I definitely play to win. I don't like go out there and sweat. I'm not out there like sitting and laying like massive piles of fire to their spa. I'm not like going to their spawn to like camp them. I'm going out there yeah. to experience airsoft the way that I enjoy playing. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to actually achieve the objective and do my best to win. But if I don't win, then Yeah,
4: then exactly. Deal? I mean we I tailor like our own
2: long.
1: experiences on the field. I mean, we also have, I think, a very positive view in terms of like the sort of fair minded and sportsman like behavior, right?
2: Yeah, we you understand know. it's a game. you have to this kind of sport. If you're not if you're not fair or have sportsman like approach to it, people aren't gonna come back. And it's an entire sport based on sportsmanship.
0: Yeah. And I think Chris and I talked about this uh, a while ago, where we said, you know, the idea, this was this, you know, like the refs at some point at one game had said, like, maybe don't, you know, go 100% or whatever. And I'm like, we're always going to go 100% because if we don't, that's not very respectful of the other people. It's like you only won because I didn't try. Like that sucks. Right. Yeah. That's garbage. Yeah.
5: I'll never get, I'll only get salty about a loss if there was cheating involved.
3: I think it's fine to get, it's fine to get salty in the moment.
5: yeah of course but but yeah of course like i I, and you guys have seen my salt it's like very brief except if it's like continuing it's more like a
0: a, a, a light brine i would say yeah
5: (laughs) i feel like yeah i would never say (laughs) anything to the person or act any differently i don't think i would act any differently to them
0: or i'd hope that i don't but i who's to say but to bring it back on the on the positive side i think one of the things that i've really enjoyed and getting to know all of you guys. And it's been interesting because we've never really had ever to have this conversation. Everybody shows up on the team and we're always going to do our best, mm-hmm. right? We're always going to go out there and like, yeah, you could be hung over, you know, AF uh, we've had those games, right. Where you're <laughs> just like, Oh my God, I hope we don't have to run this first game. Cause I'm just going to puke or many whatever. A
1: many a Red Cliff game <laughs> has had a bunch of people eating cheese, eating greasy uh, cheeseburgers yeah. at 8am. <laughs> much the worse for wear. I
0: never understood why. <laughs> yeah, but we've never <laughs> we've never had to have conversations being like, "Okay, okay guys, let's go go and do our best." Like that was never something we ever had to discuss, right? We always yeah. knew that yeah, we're on this team, we're here to support each other, and that means doing your best. Whatever your best is that day, Right. And sometimes yeah, yeah. my best is like down here. And sometimes I have days where it's like up here and that's fine, but I'm always going to put in as much as I can. And I think we've all, all had that. And as a consequence, I think that's part of why we always got, got along so well because we could look at each other and be like, yeah, we're giving it our all. And if that's not good enough, then that's not good enough today, but that's fine. Um, but I always knew, yeah. You know, Cal, Pat, whomever is going to have my back or I'll have their back or whatever. Right. Never had to wonder.
1: I mean, oh, you know, yeah, it's there's definitely a difference of quality between like, you know, someone else was driving. So my breakfast today was my last shot of tequila and two cheeseburgers <laughs> and other, uh, other better mornings, yeah. but at the same time, you know, you're there, you're showed up, you're playing, rocking.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Airsoft that we've played. I mean, it's been 16 years for me, I think for, you know, uh, Pat, Cal, John, a couple, a couple fewer than that, Chris, a few couple fewer than that, but that's a lot of time to, to make some of these memories, you know, and I can say with a very high degree of certainty that most of my Airsoft memories are positive. Oh, right? absolutely. Like, and that's why we do it, I guess, right?
5: Oh, Absolutely i mean i wouldn't play the game if i didn't like enjoy it
0: yeah there's like, so much cool stuff that we've done over the years as i think about all the ops we've done in red cliff it's hard to it's hard to encapsulate them you know i remember when we did um pat's first op operation or get us Gary and chill where it was like sort of like murky foggy we had like face paint on um i remember doing an op like that later on and chris one was, was one like those,
1: the weather has complied really well moments yeah.
0: <laughs> remember Chris complimented me one time. You were like, you guys looked fierce. And I was like, yeah, dog, that felt great, right? Like all, all those kinds of stuff. Like, we, I, I don't know if you guys remember as many or like are these are popping back in your mind as, as I do, but like it's wild. It's wild to think about, right?
5: Uh, I remember one of my first times running with you guys, running the, that old Beater M4,
2: and I had- Oh, man, yes. The old M4s, Johnny. Dude, no, no, no,
5: no, no! Not the Walmart special. Not the Walmart special. Back when okay. like recently when I when I first joined the team, I was <sighs> using Fong's like uh, beater rifle. Uh, anyways, uh, I was going through the village, and this is before I knew how to move properly, like in a lack of a better word, urban setting. And so I was just walking in the open, and I had to do a reload, and I. Mark Noftel was watching me. And I think this is the game at which I was like, Yeah, I think I want to start doing modern stuff. And he was, I I had to reload and I had it. I did it so smoothly. I was like, That was sick. Uh, And then all I heard out of my left ear was, Johnny,
2: that was fucking sexy. (laughs) 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 I can hear him. And I was like, I was like, (laughs) I'm sold.
0: Yeah.
1: John, I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Now I feel that I feel the need to point out this M4 situation. So when John and I first started playing, I don't know if any of you remember what we first started using for like our first year or two of playing, which was just a Walmart M4. Dude,
5: you had moved on to another weapon, and I was using. I
2: was still using the the beater M4. Yes, I think you had a yeah. you got a cricket, right. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Eventually, I, I was on the AK train for a couple of years. Love that crack. You AK were. For a while. Yeah, you were on
5: that for hard. But yeah, I'm on it now.
1: I have pictures of you uh, still kicking around from back then wearing winter whites with like a Chai chest rig and waving like a Soviet flag. <laughs> yeah. dude, yeah. You
5: were ahead. You're ahead of the
2: fashion.
1: Uh,
4: yeah, really? Hey. You were
2: light God. years ahead. But we <laughs> rocked with Walmart and Forest for a good solid period of time. And they were, not- they were okay. Right. Yeah.
5: Well, because we were given, we were fortunate enough to have the space in which we needed to close in and
4: use yeah. the
0: effective range of like 10 meters
4: yeah, yeah it turns out not to mention the fact that the woods good. were so
0: and the woods were so dense like you had to move up right you just couldn't right i, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many yeah. games we had did a 10 we meter Red range
1: played. and we had real aegs and they had a 14 meter range because the Trees, pine, pine trees, <laughs> stop BBs. Like, yeah, exactly.
5: I didn't understand the difference between BB bastards and Walmart BBs. <laughs> yeah, 0.12s oh,
2: and yeah. oh, the longest because obviously they go faster, right? They go oh, faster. yeah. <laughs> yeah <I laughs> think. Well,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, strictly speaking, yes, for you know, 15 <laughs> feet or whatever, three meters. Yeah.
2: Why would you have BBs and mine go faster?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're also not round, but let's not talk about that. Mine are also camouflaged? But yeah, they're because they're green or whatever. Yeah.
2: They were so poor quality that you could see like the seam line. Yeah, I know. Two shells together. Oh, they were so
1: they, bad. They were so poor quality. You could feel the seam line. Chris, yeah. was like, it
0: you? Was it you who at like for a while you were loading like four black BBs and a white BB in all of your mags? <laughs> Is that you who's doing that? Yeah, oh I did that for God. a while. Yeah,
3: that was completely trash because you could you could only see the one way bb so if i had you know if i had 80 bbs in the mag i could see like six seven shots like yeah it was,
0: it was- <laughs> and like we weren't like guns weren't accurized back then we weren't like zeroing our dots like none of that stuff you know and i, I use zeroing like in air quotes because i mean we know airsoft zero is like whatever but I vaguely remember that. It just popped in my mind. It's like, oh, it's like a tracer. What? Yeah, okay, bud. Dude, yeah. That's, like the, that's like the same thing as me numbering all my, my
5: AR magazines. I was like, they go in order. Uh, yeah, okay.
4: <laughs>
5: John, that's
3: how you can count them after and you know you have them all. Yeah, like, that's,
5: that's, right. not, that's not why I did it. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That's not why you did it. <laughs> this that's is why funny. I'm on the team. It's
1: so, because the order of the reason is, I did it. The order is one mag for John. Two mags for John. Yeah. Three mags yeah. for John.
0: <laughs> John. John's here for the big brain ideas.
3: That's right. It's so funny looking back at all these things and like he keeps bringing up like, you know, different perspectives. Like it's so easy to, to sit back and laugh about that stuff now. But like that was that's the good memories. Right. It's yeah, like, yeah. You know, you're finally learning that there was a better gun than a Walmart M4. It's like finding out that .2 BBs aren't necessarily the best. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, you know, it's like, what? It's like, I put a dot site on this and it's better, you know? And it's just all these little, like, now looking back, it's so easy just to, you know, to think that we knew all that. But it's it's a progression of so many years, right? You yeah, guys remember having a gig just, like,
1: shooting my M203 launcher at each other? Like, that thing was never effective in a game, but boy, is it fun to just shoot it at random people.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
3: and I, I feel like it's minute conversation with somebody now and you can set them up with, like, what took us six, seven years to do?
5: Totally, yeah, exactly. And that's, I'm the I'm like the example of that because I mean when I started with you guys, the only piece of Modern Kid I had was a Helly Hansen jacket. And, and
3: the best thing, John, about that was it was, hey, I want to learn about Modern Kid. Okay, John, do this. Ah, that looks stupid. I'm gonna do it this way.
4: And then, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was, yeah,
3: Hey, John, I noticed. I noticed you're doing it this way you'd be like yeah dude it's faster i don't know what it is it's like mm, yeah i don't know where that idea came from
0: <laughs> yeah i remember i was frustrated like af for a while i was like what is this guy yep i you know it's the reason why i never had a play carrier
1: We're just like hey john learn from our mistakes john's like nah
5: <laughs>
0: yeah remember two-point slings john john was like i don't like two-point slings i don't i hate him i hate him and then, you know, it's like, they're no good. They're no good. And then he gets the slingster that we've been telling him to get for like, I don't know, 15 years conservatively. And he's like, oh, my God, the slingster, guys, it's so good. It's so I good. Remember, right? I remember going.
4: The slingster and I are yeah.
1: now legally married.
0: I remember I, I was
5: like, when I first got the slingster, I was like, I tapped Phil on the shoulder. I was like, dude, the sling is sick. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you hear that? yeah
0: that's right who knows it's just, it just like it came into his brain brain through osmosis right? Yeah, just i was like hey <laughs> i don't know if you guys have
5: slings uh, they're sick
0: yeah but yeah you're right i i think you're <laughs> right chris like that's you know these are like yeah it, it's cool to be able to share our experiences i mean that's the whole reason why we have the podcast the channel because we have all this knowledge that you know hopefully people mm-hmm. listen to it and they take something away from it whether uh, you know, guys on the Discord are like, "Oh yeah, I agree with that. That's great. Thanks for putting me onto that." And they go like, "You guys are totally off base. I don't enjoy that. That's fine too, right?" But it's more than that. I think it's the it being able to look back and be like, "Wow, like we've progressed. Like it's it's so fun to look back." And it's funny you look at yourself and you just laugh. I mean, you have to, right? You, I, oh, of I think of myself like being in my in my office and just doing like sidearm transitions with a timer being like, this is the most important thing I'm going to do for Airsoft. And I look at my Airsoft today and I was like, wow, that was trash. That did nothing for me. Except that one time when I drew my sidearm and shot some guy, I can't remember who it was recently. Uh, It was, oh, it's Jason Terry. And like, that's the only time it's ever come up, right? But like- That was recently. Yeah, like- Memorable moments in
1: Airsoft. (laughs) Kyle, do you remember we were playing an operation game and like back trailing it around like in the woods- and some dude comes out, and the three of us are like putting fire down. And my M16 stops working, and I just the on, do the only useful sidearm transition I have ever done in airsoft, and just immediately shoot the guy twice with the PX4 and hit him
4: oh, inexplicably. My God, I can't this.
1: And it's just like well, that's the most <laughs> badass I am ever going to feel. In airsoft. <laughs> yeah, it might
0: as well just retire. Like I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And there's there's
3: so many there's so many of those things too that like. Looking back on them, you, you would think, like, you know, within that range now, it would be ridiculous to think you wouldn't hit them. Right. Like, yeah. like I remember especially rolling with Fang when he used to have, um, actually, I had a loan of his rifle, his, uh, oh, was it the Magpul Masadas? Yeah, that yeah. Correct? yeah. And he had a, he had a, I don't even know if it was an internal barrel extension suppressor or if it was just a suppressor. And the thing was like five and a half feet long. And my uh, my rifle was like CqB Ireland length, so I had a loan of it I couldn't I was looking down his naka can, which I had no idea about eye relief, so I couldn't <laughs> see it and it it like totally turned me right and then like thinking back now it would be like like that gun was easily four times as good as the gun I had, but I just had no idea how to use it. but like you know like like we were saying, like those ranges where it would seem impossible or like hey look it's it's you know uh you're up against three guys like you'd be shaking in your boots right whereas like you know now looking back it was like you know with what we know now it, it might not be uh the same level of intensity but like all these little things like taking the shot at a guy who was doing a patrol on top of the octagon we were like 75 feet away and fang is like dude this is an easy shot like one shot one kill man you got him you know all this stuff and then doing it and two of us are just like celebrating whereas now it would be like you know Hit the guy on the move, keep going. Like, yeah, not even he's work, 75 right? feet away.
0: You better hit him or else, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <that's> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think now, like, some of the ranges, like, using Pat's uh, Pat's gun a couple weeks ago uh, with his HPA with the, with the site uh, in the podcast that we recorded last week, like, like, I was hitting people way further away than if we go back like five years' time playing at Redcliffe. Like, I'm making shots 200 feet easy, right? Easy. That's crazy. And like, that would have been insane at Redcliffe. It would not have been possible. Wind yeah. aside, the, just the distance was just way too great. Right. Like, we've talked about Redcliffe
3: a lot. Right. And it's like, I, I think that part of, like, you know, okay, so there's a lot of hikers, there's a lot more development there now.
4: Mm-hmm. Everything
3: has grown up so much. But also, if you, if you put our current gear capabilities up there, it changes the game completely. Definitely. Like some of my best memories, especially when we used to play in the winter was on the side of a bank, pushing snow up in front of me and seeing a guy like just standing up and two of us just exchanging BBs for like 15 minutes. Neither one of us coming handy. You're just, you know, you're just having a time. And uh and and that would just never happen then, right? Yeah. Because yeah, everybody yeah. collectively, the gear is so much better. That's I mean at this true. point,
1: like, you know, your gun, my gun, frankly, any of our gear, just pull trigger twice. All right, that's done. Carry on.
0: Yeah. And people, like you have a lot more people working on their own stuff. Like you guys got like Matt, you got guys, uh, you know, even at Frontline who are not on our team, right? There's lots of people doing their own tech work that are doing really good work, right? Uh, The resources that are available now to teach you about gun teching. Uh, did just didn't exist when we were like back in my day We didn't have YouTube, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there was YouTube, but like there wasn't detailed videos on hey, like this is now. how to correct the angle of engagement of your piston and blah blah blah. Like that was not in that wasn't knowledge that existed back when we were playing, when you were pushing the snow up the snowbank, like that knowledge didn't exist. But now everyone has easy knowledge, right? So you have this sort of like arms race, I guess you could say, right? Of, of just escalation of stuff gets better and better and better, which is fine. Like that's absolutely fine. But I take your point though, Chris, like I think if we were to go up to right, I'd be interested to see that actually maybe John's idea of doing like a, a little game up there ourselves might not be a bad idea, but I'd be interested to see how that uh i see oh. yeah cal's see like cal rubbing, rubbing his hands, hands together like let's go let's and go
2: smell the hill game from here boys All <laughs> oh, <good memories. laughs>
5: oh boy. yeah Dude, the hill game was probably the greatest game we've ever played like yeah. just in terms sure. of like in terms of like a game like on a map layout like that
2: was fantastic there's so much you could do you could go right? up there and record that because our viewers are probably listening to this right now like what the hell are they talking about hill game like clip was so dynamic, the amount of objectives, locations, play areas, and just approaches and ways to play. You could essentially go up there and just go any way you want
4: and still mm-hmm. reach I got, the
2: objective as long as you stay in the designated area. Yeah, we probably should have
3: given some context at the beginning, but like this, and Phil, I don't know how much you and Pat have gone over this in the past about like what the area actually was, but essentially it's like, what, a three and a half, four kilometer square that, yeah. uh, or maybe not that big, maybe like two and a half, three. Uh, that was essentially a a, a U.S. military uh, base in the '60s. Yeah, that was just abandoned. So you had not only did you have elevation gain of a substantial amount, like what what's the difference between the parking lot and the top? Like 150 meters, probably. Yeah. So you had you had yeah. all that. You had literal rings around like tabs and different platforms. different areas with you know decrepit concrete buildings you had uh you know just like like cal said very dynamic very like variable you it was like a map on uh battlefield that was like Mm -hmm. just curated for this right
0: yeah and so many like avenues of approach like we used to play the king of the hill game where you know you had to be on the hill and like the attackers had to try and come from the top and the defenders quote unquote, had to, uh, would start at the bottom and like a lot of people wanted to be the attackers because it was easier to come down the hill in certain respects but actually it was a lot easier to defend from the bottom sometimes and you had a ton of ways of defending you had tons yeah, of ways of attacking. variation is what it like, was yeah and i got where-
5: a, i got a quick question do you guys think playing at redcliffe has made you a better airsoft player now do you rely on any skills that you developed during those times or like any approaches to in the way you play mindset wise or anything like that has made you a better player
0: hmm, that's a good question i think there's there's two parts to your question i think has the the way playing at red cliff made me a, a better airsoft player like in general like i would say yes do i have skills that i learned at red cliff that i apply at frontline the answer would be probably not really um for me anyway, like I think maybe, you know, concealment or being aware of opportunities for concealment maybe. But mm-hmm. again, like we talked about at the top of the episode, like opportunities for that at frontline are pretty limited.
5: Yeah, and I mean, like for what we play consistently is just urban,
1: very tight firefight CQB. Yeah. I mean, I learned how to corner uh playing in the sort of lower area around the rectangular building. at Red mm-hmm. Like the reason I feel comfortable coming around corners in airsoft, and usually don't do badly when I'm doing it is having done it just a ton up there. Um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of our better, like comms skills, uh, definitely come out of playing at Redcliffe because, you know, at frontline, like you don't really need a radio. I can shout at you, (laughs) you know, uh, at Redcliffe, you, you need a radio it yeah. is a requirement <laughs> or you need a real set of pipes
0: although i will say i think one thing redcliffe Red taught me is you don't want to be inside a building when people are attacking it like that is just a bad that's a yeah, bad vibes, bad vibes. Like, I'm not interested in doing I that. I would rather be outside in some sort of concentric ring of defense than inside just waiting to get swacked by people yeah. who are swarming yeah. the outside. Which yeah, surprisingly, we used to play that all the time at Redcliffe. Yeah. Like attack defend the octagon. You can't leave the octagon. That was that, that was a really fun game. It that was, but in retrospect, game. I'm like,
5: man, that sucks, dude. It would be interesting to play it again with our modern
2: capabilities. I'd be ridiculous. Like, oh my
0: god. Yeah. Yeah. We
2: didn't like the octagon games because. In a defensive context, you're confining the defending team of like five ish people against ten attackers, and you can't leave the building beyond like an arm arm length. Yeah. And it wasn't like there was a lot of spots to hide or take cover or canalize the opposing force to come at you. Yeah. They can go anywhere they want. And if they're getting at you and coming in near you, the octagon has a window in every single wall. There and some no in cover. some cases
5: there's yeah. no wall. Yeah, yeah well, that's exactly. true too. Had, fair, fair point. Yeah.
2: Four
3: windows and four doors. <laughs>
5: It was a thing of fish in a barrel, essentially. It's like a, someone designed it to be like a multiplayer map or something, because the main avenue of approach and the biggest window where the trail intersects to going to the octagon building has like no wall there and very little yeah. cover.
1: That's because the paintballers knocked it out years ago. Is that, is that
2: is <laughs> that is that really what happened?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> that's that
2: hilarious. I think your question yeah. earlier, John, about if it made us a better player, yeah, uh, or I, I don't care exactly what you said, but I think that. Frontline, front I mean, Reykjavik gave with the core competencies of being a better player overall. Mm-hmm. It made me realize what I should and shouldn't do when I come under contact in Airsoft. It made me realize what I should do afterwards or how to properly engage and then follow through with like firing out a threat.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it gave me that real, like, real core base mm-hmm. to have a play airsoft effectively. At frontline, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can really just get there and learn all this stuff immediately. Um, more trial by fire, I guess, at frontline. Yeah. But Redcliffe definitely mm-hmm. gave me a more... I guess broad and constant of what I should do in airsoft and what other fields can be like instead of so just constant seek be all the time. Uh, taking fire when I'm at like Redcliffe, right I have time to like not particularly sit down and think about it, but I can take fire, get in cover and think of what I can do next. Do I want to mm-hmm. just straight up, attack the guy and like do a frontal or do I want to flank? Do I want to disengage? Do I want to fall back? Do I want to call for mm-hmm. backup? At front lines, you don't have that opportunity because it's so quick and violent. Mm-hmm. When you take contact, you immediately have to just find the other guy and start shooting him. That's all you, that's all you can do. But you yeah. have the ability to have options yeah. and engagement.
3: Well, uh, yeah, like more than anything for me, I think it's like, if you're playing at a, like, like frontline is a strictly CQB, everything's fairly open. You know, it's like, it's like a Call of Duty map, right? Just to, to, mm-hmm. to give some context. So it's like, you can't really hide away, right? It's like, yeah. if you're, if you're a very skilled player in the hard skills, like, you know, the the technical skills, like if you can reload fast, if you can shoot accurately, if you can use cover effectively, you're going to do very well, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like with uh, Redcliffe, if you could do all that stuff, you could still do well. But it also let a lot of other play styles in there. Like you guys are talking about, like, you know, if you if you wanted to set up an ambush, you could do it. If you wanted to, as soon as you came undercover, you could run away. Cool. You know, there was all these other opportunities, which I think it took a lot of people a lot of time to... You know to go from Red like there I, I think when we first started or when frontline first started having regular airsoft games there was quite a pushback for people to even go there because mm-hmm. i think yeah. it exposed a lot of things right because mm-hmm. it was just a completely different style of play yeah. yeah so i like for me i don't i don't know if i learned anything at Red that uh, really helped that Frontline, I, and i don't know if like it's not I don't think it's as easy as, as saying that you learn something there that helped because it's hard to look back and say exactly when you learn these things. Yeah. But I think both of them together definitely equals a better player. If you're competent. in both.
5: Yeah. Players, I, I think I, I agree with you completely. And I also agree with Cal's point, something like, I feel like it kind of dovetails well. Like I found that the fear of being a kid amplified the intensity of the situation at Redcliffe. Um, And especially having Phil and Pat there being like all decked out in their military gear and me being like, you know, 1980s, uh, cotton, you know, OD Canadian uniform. Um, like there's an intimidation factor that like I, I learned really fast and really hard. Like, you know, I'm, who am I up against? Am I, if, If I'm against Phil, that means I have to break contact and move around. How do I want to move around? That's purely about uh, what terrain do I have to traverse? And these are all, like, lessons that of decision-making that I learned from a really young age, I think. Like, learning, like, hard kind of truths about, like, decision-making and being instinctual without being – well, still, like, treading with caution Um, while also – teaching myself how to move through the woods. And that was kind of like the biggest thing that I miss Yeah. about what, about playing at frontline is like, I don't have that, I'm going to move quick or I'm going to move slowly. I'm going to move methodically. I'm going to let my camouflage do a lot of the work. And, you know, I learned, I learned to rely on my camouflage uh, to a certain extent because, you know, the community was so small. Like I knew like, oh, so-and-so like, He's walked past me a dozen times. This shouldn't be an issue. I can let him, you know, move, get closer before I can engage. Uh, really playing to the strengths of, mm-hmm. like, my weapon at the time.
1: I think frontline is a lot more um, of a, like, personal skills in terms of, like, what can you do in CQB environment a mm-hmm. lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I definitely, like I said, you know, Redcliffe's probably the only environment in which I'm actually capable of being sneaky. Uh, yeah. And I do have days where I miss that. Um, you know, and I think that there... You know, you don't use a lot of, like, stealth or, um, you know, bushwhacking skills at at Frontline,
5: really. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I think you I think you do, and you apply it in a different way at Redcliffe. Or at Frontline, sorry. sorry. The way you approach buildings is still the same way you approached buildings when you were at Redcliffe. Like, going into the Octagon, for example, is no different than... How you would take going through the back door of the yeah. two story if you know right. there's someone in there? I don't do there. it.
1: That is that is correct.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you learn and like so like there's still a lot of transferable skills from Redcliffe that you know this retrospective
1: is teaching us. Oh, definitely. There's just other stuff that you know. I think there are things that do transfer and things that don't. Like one of the things I'd say uh, that does, you know, I was saying you know the the radio skills, but really our ability to play as a team was developed in an environment where like coordination yeah. was really important and yeah. often uh, sort of functioned via, via comms. And being able to coordinate and work together and get other people to coordinate and work together with us is really important at a lot of games at Frontline as well.
0: The other and, thing that I would say on top of that is, and I noticed this especially when we started. And I think you guys will remember like a lot of the like early like operation games and stuff. Because we were accustomed to playing longer games, longer days at Red Cliff, we did not get tired. Right. Yeah. We did not get tired either. Well, physically, obviously, you will get tired just like everybody else, but mentally we did not get tired. We played and we played and we played till the game was done. And then whatever. Right. And I remember played to the point of exhaustion. Right. And like, I remember like playing some op games like Stalingrad is a good example, but there were other, other ops, um, stranglehold, I think was one of them at, um, at frontline where the other team, they didn't want to play anymore. They were fatigued. They were tired. They were done. They didn't have the sort of the get up and go necessary for them to continue playing. And we're like, cool, man, we're just going to keep doing it. Right. And as they're all
1: Chris and his Skittles.
0: (laughs) but well, I mean, it is Chris and his Skittles, but it's also the, the mental fortitude, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the mind it's just being able to be like, no, we still have a game to play. Right. And it's funny uh, in, in speaking to some other guys from the discord about their milsim experiences in the States they are saying, oh, well on the later half of the games, you know, player numbers are dwindling down. Right, We started off on the first day, the first night, or whatever, there's like 400 players. And then by Sunday morning, there's only 200 players left, like half the players are gone or whatever. And for us, we experienced that, obviously, in a much smaller scale. Like you'd start the day, like the you know the first grad game, there could have been like 70 players. And then because they're getting beaten and worn down, players are leaving, they're like, yeah, I'm done for the day, whatever. And then suddenly it's like 50 on 15 or something, right? Or 40 on 15, right? The Stalingrad
1: games were particularly rough for that because they're in February, you know, like February is not super nice weather here.
4: Well, we didn't care.
1: Sure, but we also like had people on the team who had experience camping in the winter and being outside in the winter. And so I think, you know, like definitely it's a morale thing, but part of the benefit we had going in is that like we knew to wear warm clothes
0: well i mean yes and no i mean i wore (laughs) desert boots for a longer of the longest time my feet froze and stuff but it's just like me too i think playing at red cliff just gave us that endurance for 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 longer games that i think you didn't see as much from frontline because the games last what 20 minutes half an hour is a long game at right at frontline because we've got you know three hours four hours of play like 30 minutes is a large percentage dude front front line is a sprint
4: yeah yeah red
1: cliff you can't find the other team Yes, well, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, like who remembers playing games of where the hell is Shane in the woods? <laughs>
5: yeah, then it was Zach. Yeah.
0: Zach the Cole.
3: game
5: be done
1: and you're running around
3: yelling trying to find them.
0: Yeah. 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 That's very true. And
3: yeah. And they come yeah. out and just start shooting
0: people. And are like,
2: nah, dude, we're two games
0: later. Yeah, the game's over, dude. Come back to the spot. We're gonna start over again.
2: Funny to reminisce about the good old the good old days. I say the good old days because still have a lot of fun, but I guess back when I played all the time, like I was out every single weekend for the job, essentially.
1: Yeah. And I feel like this has given people uh, a good window into sort of like how we act with each other. Well, yeah, the shape of our team is the shape of our friendship, right? Yeah. You know, the, yeah.
2: The way in which we carry on. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Oh, the Walmart yeah. M4. Good memories.
5: Yeah. All faithful, man. Do you remember mm. uh, the MP5K and the P90?
2: Oh, yeah. I remember oh, carrying God. up. What was, it, what was the guy's name, Mason? I think he's played us years ago. Yep. He's Mason. America.
0: Wow, that's a flashback, yeah. yeah, dude.
2: Kiko, yeah. Nico. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: oh
2: <laughs> that's what Dad called them. <laughs> we had we had a power fail.
4: Yeah,
2: but yep. we used to carry their stuff up for them. We used to either pay Mason like five bucks for BBs, and he gave us a gun to use, or Nico would just make us carry up his stuff for him, and use yeah. gun afterwards. Yeah. 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 Good memories. I remember asking him like, "Hey."
5: Can I borrow a gun? (laughs)
0: That's so funny.
2: Well, you know, I'm going to carry my stuff.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I was like, all right, happily. So, guys, I think that's about enough of a retrospective, enough reminiscing, talking about right and frontline and all these fields that you probably don't have any idea what we're talking about. Um, But if you've listened to the podcast, you've watched some of our our, our videos, you will definitely be able to recognize some of those places. Uh, Hopefully you found this retrospective interesting. It's been amazing to be able to have this conversation uh, with you guys today, John, Cal, Chris, Pat. But it's been really cool to be able to to make these podcasts the last couple of years. And we're definitely going to continue. It's something that's fun. Got to meet lots of different people have really great conversations just like today. Um, And, you know, if you want to be part of these conversations, if you think you have really good experiences that you'd like to share, uh, you know, let us know in the Discord, send us a message. It's really just as easy as that, figuring out what we want to talk about. But until then, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being with us for 100 episodes of this podcast. And we will talk to you next week.
5: Thanks, guys. It's been awesome. We'll see you at 200, baby.
0: Yeah, see you at 200, baby.
4: (laughs) Peace, guys.